I'm sitting down with Faisal Suziwala. He's a real estate broker with the most homes sold in Canada since 2017, and he's presently ranked number two in the world for Remax alone. And he's also a best-selling author for The Real Deal, A Journey of a Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker. One of my favorite kinds of stories, racks to riches. Um, he takes us through his journey uh, through nearly poverty to building his own empire and selling billions of dollars worth of homes and yeah let me know what you guys think if you enjoyed it please leave us a rating a review and don't forget to subscribe and without further ado let's get straight into it thank you so much Faisal for joining me today welcome to take the lead how's it going thanks Karim. fine thanks how are you good good i wanted to start off today's conversation in a way that I start off maybe most of my interviews where it's about your journey and how you are where you are today. In your book, I actually took the time to read it today um, and in the last few weeks called The Real Deal. And it's really a typical racks to riches uh, story. And I love reading those and talking about those during the podcast. Walk us through that a little bit. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me on. So yeah, my, my journey started at a very young age. I was born in England, um, where my father worked in a textile. And back in 73, Canada had opened up immigration, uh, where you could basically land in Toronto and get your landed immigrant status. Um, and Cambridge was an area where I live, Cambridge, Ontario, that had a lot of textiles. So my father naturally came into this area looking for work and found a textile that hired him and he started off as a weaver. I was three years old. My, uh, my brother was four years old at the time. Um, and, uh, you know, first generation immigrants, um, just struggling to make ends meet, uh, rented a little apartment. Um, and then 1975, something very tragic happened where my father um, had an industrial accident at his new job. He left the textiles and he went to a press and he lost his right arm in that accident. So it was a very tough uh, time, obviously, for my father and for my mother who had to really work hard to um, help the family meet ends and um, we were very young I was five my brother was six so there was not a whole lot we could do to contribute but following those years the struggles that my father faced and and, and thank God you know and he's still he's still with us and um, you know we're very blessed that you know both my parents are are alive and and, and with us and um, you know but they, they went through a lot of hardships and we grew up watching these hardships we grew up watching the struggles and we learned how to make do with very little and we learned how to be resourceful. And at, at the age of 10, both my brother and I started working and that income that we were bringing in was helping our parents and going towards contribution towards daily uh, needs. And, um, you know, a lot of um, young people today don't even understand how that works, but in those times, you know, especially multi-generational families and whatnot, everybody pooled their money together, lived together, tried to tried to really succeed in that way. And uh, just watching, you know, when you see adversity, when you see struggles, you want more and you, and that's your drive. And that was my drive. I didn't want to be average. I didn't want to um, just get by. I wanted to thrive, but uh, more importantly, I wanted to see my family thrive. So it was um, grade 12, I was watching a late night television show and this Vietnamese gentleman comes on and he's sitting on the back of a yacht and uh, he's showing pictures of these 
boats and cars and mansions and he's got beautiful women surrounding him and i'm an 18 year old kid thinking wow i want to be that guy and he's talking about how he's an immigrant and he came into canada into the us and he started buying real estate i'm like oh this sounds like a good gig if i can be half that i would be so happy so i uh, learned a little bit about real estate look looked at courses being offered and there was a local course at the conestoga college which is a local college in our area that offered real estate courses. I didn't even know that I was gonna get licensed after that. Um, but I learned a little bit there. I passed my courses, I got uh, my licensing done, and then I uh, decided to go and apply for a job. And while I was still in high school. So I walked down to the local real estate company, asked them to give me a job. It was a big franchise. And they said, look, you're too young. Um, this is not a job for young people. And that was over 33 years ago. You should maybe stay in school for a little bit longer and uh, we'll figure out. And while waiting for the bus to go back home, I remember there was an older gentleman that uh, my father had uh, used his services to help him. And I thought, I'll just go ask Mr. Maneri if uh, he can guide me. And he was 73 at the time. And he said, I'm ready to retire, but you know what? I'll take you on for a few months and get you started. And that gave me my start in the business. That's amazing. I was reading that too. It's like a, like God sent you this person or, or whatever force you want to believe in. It's a Absolutely. mentor that you didn't know you needed. Right. And yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. Cause I know a lot of people when they're in a type of lifestyle where their parents, you know, are struggling. Um, a lot of people don't take this path, right. And they don't go down this road where they strive um, to be great and to be successful, but you know, they think this is the circumstances that I have and this is what's possible for me. And they kind of, you know, stick with, with the norm and, and the things that they were taught by their parents and by the people around them. But sometimes having a little catalyst and meeting someone who has made it or is where you want to be kind of shows you that this is also possible and they show you the ways that they were able to do that. So um, would, you, would you say that this mentor was, was someone who really impacted your growth? Absolutely. And, and he was the key person in my business life that guided me. And you know, when you're young and impressionable, your environment, your surroundings are so important. What you pick up in those surroundings and that environment, that's, that's either going to make a positive influence on you or a negative. And what I learned from Mr. Maneri is ethics. I learned how to deal with people. I learned that, you know, just do good. Don't worry about the money because the money will come. Look, it takes longer. But when it happens, it happens consistently and you get loyalty and you get this following. So, and it's not about, in my case, I was very fortunate. I had one very strong mentor in my life. I had many strong influences in my life. My parents watching their work ethic, watching them work hard and, and, and to do what it took to survive and not give up. You know, that was also in the back of my head that, this is, this is something that, you know, you grow up with and you are not handed and you're learning what that environment is teaching you. And similarly, if you get into the wrong influences and you're surrounding yourself with the wrong people, then, you know, they say you're the average of the five closest people to you, right? So that's a very important thing to learn because that environment can lift you or it can destroy you. So choose wisely. And, and, and it's not just financial that we're looking at. We're looking at, you know, morals, values, ethics, behavior, uh, drive, ambition, inspiration. So all of this needs to be coming from 
your surroundings. And I was very fortunate to be surrounded by some great, great people. And even in today's day and age, it's very difficult to pin down one person and say, can you be my mentor? Mm -hmm. And that's where it's important to, you know, read books, attend, um, not so much, you know, seminars on your business, but life seminars, how you can change your mindset. And more importantly, how you can create a heart set so that you're not just thinking with your head the entire time, you're thinking with your heart and you're saying, okay, what's better for the greater good? Is this something that I should be doing or am I doing this just for financial gain? When you become that person that people trust and can relate to and resonate with, you know, you don't have to ever pick up the phone. It doesn't matter which industry you're in. You don't ever have to pick up the phone and ask someone to give you business or to support your business. That business is going to start rolling in independently and it's just going to be organically coming to you. Yeah, I love that. I, you know, I also come from uh, immigrant parents and, and they moved here when they were around my age. So our parents really did what they had to do. And I think they gave us the tools as well to see us succeed, right? To a certain extent. And the tools that they know is get an education, um, get a corporate job, because that's what most of them did, right? And that's what they know was the key to success at the time. And, you know, bless their hearts. I think that's great advice. And also seeing how, you know, maybe not having the language, maybe not having that background and having to fight to sustain a, a life and a family. And I love that you mentioned how seeing their hard work really inspired you, right? But nowadays, there's so many paths that one can take, whether it be real estate, whether it be social media, a lot of people who are influencers making money. So it's not the conventional path that a lot of, you know, even the listeners right now who are in a corporate job listening to this say, well, how can I succeed without taking a conventional path? And I know you touch on that a little bit too, without struggling with getting an education, um, like a conventional education, getting a college degree and just taking the leap and going into real estate. So someone who's listening to this right now, thinking of taking that leap, what would be a key piece of advice that you would give them? You know, you follow your passion and, and you know, that it, it, it sounds very typical. Everybody says, follow your passion. Mm -hmm. Um, as an 18 year old, when I came and told my mom and dad and had just been accepted at three top universities, my, my marks were fantastic. And imagine, you know, your parents who work in factories, labor, my father lost his arm in a factory. All they could think about is if our kids do not get an education, they're going to end up working like us in a factory. And that's not why they brought us to this country. And, you know, it was a very difficult conversation for me to have with my parents. In fact, my, my, my mother and father just were completely against it and said, there's no way we're going to ever allow this. It took a professor of education who was my mom's uncle to come in and convince my parents to allow me to get into this business because in the first two months of real estate, I had done so well. So what I'm getting at here is there is no conventional path. It's not that, okay, you get your high school diploma, you get your university degree, and then you go work for someone. If you're passionate about social media, about being an influencer, about cars, about construction, whatever it is, be in the business of that and, and, and take, take that passion and turn it into a business and whatever it is. If you want to drive truck, well, have the goal that you want to own all the trucks that you're going to drive, you know, and that's the passion that has to drive you and be ambitious about what you're doing. Have that, that now, if you're someone that doesn't have that drive, then no, it's not going to, 
you're not going to be successful without the drive. And then you are going to need to go and work for someone. And look, that's just a fact. I've had people come in to see me on a regular basis asking to get into real estate. And you know, when they say, well, I want to come work for you. My response to them immediately is, this is not the right environment for you. Because when you're going into business, you're not going to work for someone, you're going to work for yourself. And you have to have that mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. I think people are so caught up on finding their passion, right? And saying, well, how are you so fulfilled doing what you do? And how can I be a business owner and do that and, and be successful while having a passion? And a lot of the times people don't realize that you don't have to have a business to follow your passion. You don't have to just take a risk and do something that maybe at the end of the day won't be beneficial to you. I think there's ways of finding passions in different aspects. Like if you like inspiring people, you could work at a, a company that has that kind of culture, maybe take a managerial role or, you know, work on social media, maybe do that as a side hustle and coach people online. I, I, you know, had spoken to someone on this podcast actually about doing that. And there's so many ways of, of finding different ways of, of having a passion. So I, I love that you, you mentioned that now kind of a question I think everyone is, is wondering is how do you become the person who sells the most homes? Like, do you sleep at night? Do you have a social life? How do you get to that level? <laughs> You know, you know, as I said, that there were a lot of sleepless nights. There were a lot of 16-hour days, and, and I, I would never sugarcoat what you have to do to get there. And you've got to put in your time. You know, people say, oh, you're an overnight success. Well, I'm an overnight success in 33 years. So it's not, it's not, there's no magic formula. It's a lot of struggles, a lot of blood and sweat and hardships to get through to get there. But if you do what you're supposed to do consistently and not put the brakes on it and not give up and just stick to that one path, stay in your lane. And, you know, I talk about, you know, a lot of people will try to scale up very fast and try to do too many things. What I did was I took the same idea of saying, okay, what's everybody doing? And I scaled it down and I became synonymous with my industry. So it doesn't matter which industry you are, you want to be the top of mind recall when they think about, so if you're selling cars, you should be the first name that comes into someone's mind when they think I want to buy a car or sell a car. Branding is where it's at. So at a very, very early point in my career, I started watching and you know, it's not so much mentoring, but it's mimicking and it's, uh, it's, it's looking, it's modeling excellence, but being creative about it. And what I started doing is seeing what do the leaders in our industry do and how are they doing it and how can I do it? or do it better. So I saw, you know, flyers were going out once every six weeks um, and they would only go out in the springtime and then there would be no flyers in the summer. And then the winter, I wouldn't really see anything. So I said, okay, you know what? I'll start doing flyers. But I started doing it every three weeks and I did it consistently. I had no interruption to it. So I started investing in my brand, in my business. I wanted to get my face out there. It was 11 months before I got my first phone call off of those flyers, but I didn't give up. And when I saw that it worked, I ramped that up even more. Then I started creating my own brand. It's like, why would people give me a call? What do I have to offer? And that's where I started pushing the limits on everything I could do. I didn't once call anyone. I never once door knocked in my career, in my life. The only thing that I did was I started marketing. So I realized that there was a, a big gap in marketing. 
There were buses, benches, billboards. No one was on that stuff. Nobody was doing all that stuff 33 years ago. And that was because it was all like sort of reserved for corporations to do. I said, no, I'm going to be that guy, especially in my town where no one is doing it. And I started becoming the guy that was in everyone's mailbox, was on the back of every bus, was on every bench, was on every billboard. And what I did was I reinvested back into my business. So every commission check I made, I wasn't investing 10%, 5%. I was spending 80% of my income back in. I did without. I, I didn't go on vacations. I didn't sell because I was building up my business. So those were the struggles of my first five to seven years in this business to create a following. And then I started building up on that. Super interesting. It actually brings a thought to my mind, which is, you know, if you had to start today, um, and I know the world was so different back then, right? How marketing back then was versus how it is today. But a lot of people, especially during COVID and the, the real estate hikes that happened, I feel like everyone knows someone who became a realtor. So what would be your advice to someone who's just starting off uh, today? How would they apply these kinds of skills? I'll tell you, this is probably the most exciting time in my life that I have seen to start up a business or do anything because let's go back and, and you, you were probably not even anywhere near born at the time, but 33 years ago, a fax machine, which most people don't even know what that looks like anymore, used to be technology. Today, you know, with what we have and how we've evolved, there was no internet, there was no Google, there was no search engines, everything. We had thick books that we had to go through to just have listings and listings would come out once a week. So now when we look at what has happened, you know, people are still stuck in old school mentality, old school marketing. So you have to look at where are people going today and how can you reach them? My reach is so high through social media and I'm a dinosaur. I'm 51 years old, but I'm still very active on the social media end of things. And the reason is because it's a, it's free. Now I do sponsored ads and I do Google retargeting and all of that. But initially as someone starting out and it doesn't matter which industry you're in, you could be a consultant, you could be a lawyer, you could be a mortgage broker, um, whatever business you're in. Use your social media as your CRM, as your contact management system, as your Rolodex. What you're doing is you take absolutely everybody that you've ever come across, put them into your social media, follow them, have them follow you back. Now that is your platform for engagement because the number one thing that you need to do today, if you're starting up a business is be engaged with your customer base or with the, with the source that you're trying to attract to you and how you're going to do that is by daily postings. If you go onto my Instagram account, you'll see two to three postings a day. And I personally respond to absolutely every message that comes through to every comment that comes in. And this is my, because I can send out a newsletter once a month. And that's going to go in someone's spam or it's going to go in the garbage. But what I do on social media, it's in real time. When little Johnny gets his first um, goal at the soccer field, you know, realtor Faisal is saying, way to go, Johnny. Now, little Johnny's parents are saying, wow, this is really good. This guy sold us a house five years ago, but he's still engaged. He's still thinking about it. He's still talking to us. Now, in addition to that, you don't just rely on that. You also take a lot of the old school stuff, you know, when's the last time you received a handwritten envelope with your name on it, with a handwritten card in it? When's the last? It's, it's, it's very rare. You get typed out envelopes, you get junk mail in your mail. I know that when I pick up my mail and I walk from the super mailbox to my home, 
I will go through the flyers and throw them into my recycling. But if I see a handwritten envelope, I'm going to take that in. I'm going to open it. I'm going to see, oh, who's writing to me? Because that's so personal. Mm -hmm. Each day, 10 handwritten notes go out of my office each day. So somebody new starting out, you've got time. You've got lots of time. You know, people, I, I, I never get it when people say, you know, I've got no time. I've no, what are you busy? You're busy doing absolutely nothing. So get busy doing the things that are going to create some sort of response to your business. A handwritten note to a friend or to a bunch of colleagues or to your sphere of influence, people who are in a position to give you business um, or just keeping in touch. Now you're going to be top of mind recall for them when they're thinking about any industry that is related to you. Wow, that is key advice. I think if uh, so far, I think this is the most important thing that we've just spoken about. If, if you guys are listening right now, I'd suggest re-listening to this part because I don't think a lot of people do this enough. I don't think anyone does this enough, which is creating that value and building those relationships in some of the, the craziest ways. You know, if you wouldn't think that writing notes would maybe bring you so far right in today's day and age especially but it's like we're kind of bringing it back to the basics and the way it was before but that is uh that is super interesting i love that but you also touch on not just working hard but working smart right so you've you've developed a sort of system that a realtor might have to follow to to find that success and you mentioned that in your book as well so do you mind expanding a little bit on that sure absolutely so Many realtors today um, have got this idea that they've got to build a large team. You know, like I've seen realtors that are in the business three years, four years, that are really struggling to even put food on their own table. And now they're going to bring on a team and try to feed three more people. And it's just that whole concept just escapes me. I, I don't understand. And it's not profitable for the team leader. It's not profitable for the, for the team member who's looking for A, a mentor, B, a, gener a lead generator. So what I've done is I've created a system and it's, it, it, I, I outline it step by step in my book that creates an environment where you can be a lead generator using your business platform. So I list, you know, last year, 446 homes is what I sold. Now, so I'm listing a lot of homes. All of those homes are generating calls, buyers, other, other businesses coming out of that. So what I'm doing is I'm vetting all of those calls that are coming in and I'm referring the buyers to several agents and I call it my network. It's not a team because a team, any business that your team member does, you start taking, you know, 50% off their top and that team member sitting there saying, okay, you know, why didn't I get a lead this week? Why did so-and-so get the lead? So they're always looking at the team leader to say, where's my next lead? Whereas when I, when you create a network, it's a referral network. So I'm saying, okay, I don't have physically, I don't have the capacity to show 20 people in a day. I don't have the capacity to show 20 homes in a day. But if I spread it out between four or five agents that are hungry, motivated, ambitious, um, in a position to work with buyers and are willing to work with buyers. So let me continuously generate leads for you. And every time something works out, you're going to give me a referral fee on that. Now, anytime you have your own business, your friend, your sphere of influence, and I don't restrict them from marketing. They have their own signs. They have some of my network has buses. They're actually my competition in my marketplace. 
but they're also very good buyer's agents. And I know that instead of me letting that lead fall on the floor and not pick it up and do something with it, I might as well refer it out and help them generate business because they're motivated and they're keen to get that business. It also finances them to grow their own business until such time that they don't need leads from me anymore. So there's never a relationship there where they're looking at me saying, why aren't you giving me leads? And there's never a situation where I'm saying, why aren't you performing? You only need to perform on what I give to you and give me an update on what I've given to you. But it allows them to grow their business independently, allows them to brand, allows them not to be in the shadow of a team leader. Because many team leaders who are doing well, like I can bring on a 20% team today and probably never have to list a home again or never sell a home again. But I'm passionate. I wake up every morning excited about going out there and meeting people and, and working with my clients. And that's what I love doing. That's what gives me the energy that I have. I don't want to check myself out. In fact, when I go and knock on a door, um, when a client calls me to list their home, they're shocked. I would say 50% of the time that I showed up because they were expecting a team member to show up. And they're like, oh my God, we didn't expect you were going to come and, and list their home. I'm like, of course, you called me, you get me. And that's the disconnect that team leaders have now. That's going to be a huge challenge, especially in an industry that is being disrupted. There's all kinds of disruptors out there. There's all kinds of online um, real estate companies and, you know, you don't need to pay commission. You don't need. So every industry that's thriving is going to have disruptors. So your value is A, show up and B, generate quality leads for your network, but don't take from them what you didn't generate. And that's the team leader model. And, and any, any realtor, that is a team leader is going to hate me for saying everything I'm saying. Cause, and that's why they don't want their team members to read my book for that very reason is that they don't want these team members to understand that, Hey, for the last five years, I've been a ghost. I've been in the shadow of my, I didn't have a sign. I didn't have a billboard. I didn't have a bench. I didn't have a flyer. I don't have a business card with my photo on it because the team leader is so insecure that I'm going to take their business away from them. And this is the thing. So when you create a network, you're supporting each other, you're working with each other and their efforts are beneficial to me, but their own efforts for their own business are beneficial 100% to them and them alone. That is so interesting because this kind of applies to every other field as well, right? If you're working for someone or if you have a team, it's important to be authentic and to give the value that the person's looking for. I think at the end of the day, um, you know, if there's one key takeaway from reading your book is that you're genuine and you want to give the best service out there. So as much as there is going to be disruptors in different industries, and especially in person to person industries, what's going to stand out is you being there and you being honest and being the face of whatever service that you're offering. So that is, that is very key. And I know that a lot of the times what happens is we get you know, advice left and right on what to do, what not to do in different fields as well. Um, what would you say was like the worst advice you've received and maybe people are still receiving that you hear all the time for success and how to be successful in this industry or any other industry? You know, I, I've gone to a lot of seminars and rah-rah sales rallies and all that. And, 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 you, and, you, and you listen to people that are up on stage that haven't sold, whether it's mortgage brokers or lawyers or real estate agents, they haven't worked in the industry in 20 years. But they're there coaching you 
on what you should be doing. And so, you know, I hear these things about, you know, you've got to, you got to get up every morning and you got to make 400 phone calls. Well, seriously, how are you not going to burn out making four? Or you got to get up at 9 a.m. and you got to go and knock on 50 doors before you come home. That's just bad advice. And it's coming from people who are not in the trenches, who have no idea. So what I'm saying here is that learn from people who are successful in your industry and, and model what they're doing, but adapt it naturally. Don't be fake about it. And you know, the biggest flaw or advice that I've ever been given is fake it till you make it. You know, everybody says fake it till you make it, fake it till you make it. Well, how are you ever going to come across genuine if you're faking it? So I say, embrace it, own it and show who you are. Say, look, you know what? I'm just an 18 year old kid. I'm driven to, to, to be succeed in this business. And I want you to give me the opportunity to prove myself. Don't go in there and say, oh yeah, you know, I've done this and I've done this, or I can do this for you. And I can, no, tell them because you're asking them and you'd be shocked. I was so lucky that I had that approach that look, I really have no idea what I'm doing, but with your support, I'm hoping that I will. And I just need an opportunity to prove myself. And it was amazing how many people stepped up, especially um, within, you know, I, and, and I'm of a South Asian background. It was fantastic how much support I had from the community. So, you know, you talk about sphere of influence, you know, you don't have to get out there and, and, and try to be everywhere. Like I said earlier, scale it down to your sphere. If you belong to a car club, if you belong to a knitting group, if you belong to a reading group, whatever it is, if you belong to a volunteer, like that's your sphere. Start there and work your way up. Don't try to be everywhere all at once, but be genuine with who you are and what you're doing. And don't take advice from somebody who's not in the business. Like it's got to be, or who's not in a similar business. That's not, I've taken advice from, from lawyers. I've taken advice from accountants, mortgage people. They're not in my business, but they have the same principles and they know exactly what they're doing on the marketing end of things and how to, how to relate to people, how to talk with people, what to do, what kind of customer service to offer and what to do to really gain someone's loyalty. Key advice. <laughs> that's all I could say. I think there's one thing that's missing in today's day and age, which is the authenticity. And I'm going to mention that again, because on social media and all these platforms and people who are trying to market their business, a lot of the times, people just want to look like they're, they're this big shot that their business is making millions and billions of dollars in revenue. When, you know, behind all that smoke, we know that that might not be true. Right. So it might be a little bit difficult for a lot of people to be honest and to put their pride aside and be like, I'm just trying to be the best that I can be. And I'm trying to give you the best service. People will appreciate that. I think people are just sick of seeing the fakeness and seeing people trying to be something that they're not. Uh, I think that's what, what would be a key takeaway from, from this statement. I love that. Yeah. And, and to your point, like, yeah, everyone's got this Insta life or whatever you want to call it. But if you're going to start a page um, on your social media, and, I, and you know, I learned this over time because I was putting a lot of content out there. I was putting a lot of business content out there, but people want to know, okay, who is this guy? Like, does he have a family? Does he have kids? Does he have any hobbies? Or does he just post how many homes he listed and how many homes he sold? So you know what? 
if you're going to be on social media, if that's going to be your platform, and, I, and I'm telling you, that should be your platform. If you're in any business that is person to person, you should be. But expose yourself a bit. Show who you are. Show what your hobbies are. Because people want to work with people they can relate to. Mm -hmm. They want to work with people that are real human beings. And they're not just all about the, you know, what they see, the silly dance on TikTok. That's not who, who you are. You're more than that. And, 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 and when you can share, because remember, in our industry, especially, I talk to real estate, real estate agents, um, we're in people's homes. We're sitting in their, on their kitchen table. We're talking with them. We see their kids. For a short period of time, as realtors, we become a part of their family. And we're giving them advice on probably the single biggest asset that they own or the single biggest decision that they're going to make financial decision. And it's their home. It's not a house, it's their home. So be vulnerable, show them who you are and be genuine about it. Be absolutely genuine and become relatable with your audience. Because if you can't, if you're going to hold yourself out and show off that you're this big shot, whatever you are, you know, check your ego at the door, have some humility and be real with people. Don't, don't have that ego. Don't think you're better. And, you know, in our industry, we see this a lot where someone's had a couple of successful years and all of a sudden they're just the most special thing on earth. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's when you start reading your own news clippings and you think you've arrived, that's the beginning of your decline. My God. Yeah. And that kind of also leads me to my next question for you, which is, at this stage, what is your driver? You've created all this success, this empire, you have a you know, family and everything, and you've been able to showcase that. But how can you stay driven and what does drive you? I know a lot of people, they, they think they're gonna make it and then that's it, they're gonna retire, right? Um, so I, I wonder what that is for you. So I was hoping you would never ask me that question, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, you, know, you know, truthfully, it's fear. It's fear. Really? Because awesome. when you come from a place where there was not abundance and where you struggled and you worked hard to get to where you are, there's nothing you want to have happen in your life that's going to take, and I'm not just talking financial, I'm talking about your whole life, what you've built, you know, the people that around you, um, your family, um, you've built this environment. And for me, Today, my drive is fear because I worry about my children. I have a 20-year-old son and a 16-year-old daughter, and my fear is about their future now. First, it was about me and my family, my mom and dad, my sister, my brother. Then it was just about survival. Then it was about growing my business. Then it was about building my network. Now I look at my children and I say, you know what? They are not going to have the opportunities. They may not have the struggles. You know, everybody says, oh, you know, when I was your age, I had to work four jobs and all of this. Granted, maybe our children won't have those struggles, but they have a whole other set of issues that they're dealing with. There's mental health issues. There's um, social issues that are surrounded. And there's so much noise around our children today that we as parents may not understand and may not be able to relate to that. But they're also going to have challenges in society, in finance, 
in ability. You look at it, you know, 1982, 84, um, the average price in Cambridge of a home was about 55,000 and the average income in Cambridge household was 30,000. So it was one and a half times. Today, the average income is 88,000 and the average price of a home is a million dollars. So it's 10 times. How are our children ever going to be able to afford to buy a home? And how are our children gonna understand financial literacy? And I talk about this in my book as well, is that we have failed our children by not educating them on what is a minimum payment? What is interest charges? You know, how many, you know, all of that stuff that we deal with, we haven't really educated our children. And I talk about, I go to a lot of high schools and I talk about this as well. So it's very important that we as parents now, and me specifically, my fear comes from building up enough of a future for my children that they can grow that and, and have that because I don't believe that this generation that's coming up today, are they're going to have that opportunity unless they're an influencer or a gamer, then they have that. <laughs> you know, it, uh, it kind of gives me goosebumps thinking about it because this is something that I also talk a lot about with our friends, like my husband and I, and um, a lot of our friends are actually starting to have kids and it's a common topic of discussion, which is like, how can we afford a house? Like as an engineer, as a lawyer coming out, you know, graduating, having years of experience and these, these houses at such crazy prices and having families, like it's, it's really, it's really something that we have to think about. And as someone who does have a corporate job, it's just going to be a lot harder or someone who has a nine to five and has a salary. Um, what we're seeing is that it's it's people who, like you said, are are influencers, are have multiple side hustles, have a lot of things going on that can generate other streams of income that are able to afford these kinds of things, right? And I think it's definitely something to think about. And I don't think anyone has a solution for it, but I do think that we do have to be a little bit more creative with that. But on the other side of that same token, it's we have kids and a lot of people are successful and, and you know, if you're a doctor, if you're someone who's listening to this, who has a lot of money and, and are trying to raise a family, maybe this is a question that you might not be able to answer. And I know like we can ask this question to a lot of people and they'll have the same response, but how do you raise children who have that drive and aren't too spoiled or too used to a certain way of living that's provided by their parents? Like how can you raise them to, to have that same drive that you did without going through what you went through? Yeah, and, and that's that's always a challenge. You know, um, mm -hmm. you know, the word entitlement comes up a lot, right? When we talk about the young generation today, I think it's important to involve them at, mm -hmm. at as soon as they're able to to involve them, to really make it known to them and 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 give them that thought process that look, it's not easy. It's like, yeah, I love this lifestyle, but that's a lifestyle that my mother and father have afforded me. And if I want that lifestyle, I'm going to have to make something of my life. And look, it might be education. It might be, they might need to become an entrepreneur. They might need to do something beyond the norm. But we as parents also have a responsibility at this point to look at investing into their future, helping them, partnering with them. I, my son, my nephews, um, I said to them very early on, as soon as you guys start saving a little bit of money, I don't care how much it is, you're going to invest that money into real estate, into a rental property. And I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you get the loan. I'm going to help you top up the down payment. It's money you're going to owe me, 
but I'm going to help you because I want you to start understanding. And you know, uh, my 23-year-old nephew and my 21-year-old nephew pulled together $60,000 and bought their first townhouse last year. That townhouse has gone up $300,000 in a year. Now you talk about two kids that put $60,000 together and they're already up significant amount of money on that. And I told them they're never allowed to sell it. Because that one townhome is going to help them pay for their start, pay for their weddings, pay for their own homes, and they're going to extract the equity out of it. But that's the kind of financial um, education that we have to start giving everybody. But we have to help them. There's no question that this generation, look, it's sad to say they're either going to have to wait until we're dead and inherit it, or we're going to have to teach them how to grow that and manage it and keep that going because if they don't they're going to be it's a cycle and it happened after you know the baby boomers had that after after every you know the the, the war uh people came back industrialization happened and that generation became very wealthy but then they left their money to the next generation who then struggled and now my generation had the opportunity to grow and now we have to save that and protect that for the next generation to come, but also teach them how to manage it. Because if you just hand it to them, that's not going to last very long. It's true. That's very true. And I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of ways that we can educate ourselves to take whatever money we have and whatever income that we're making from our jobs and, and turn that into a stream of cash flow, like you said, investing in the house, pulling out that equity and putting it into something. So definitely a lot of lessons to learn, something that we don't really teach in high schools. We don't teach in, in schools at all. It's uh, you have to go out there, unfortunately, and find it yourself. So it's a, it's a great wake up call. Yeah, and in this generation, it's, it's, you know, again, not trying to poo poo on them, but it, it's a spending generation. It's a, it's a minimum payment generation. Whereas our parents, uh, first generation were, if we didn't have the cash, we didn't buy it. And if I wanted to buy a pair of shoes, and they definitely were not Nikes, I would have to calculate $2.60 an hour is what my mother was making working in a factory. So if that shoe costs $12, I was thinking, okay, my mom's got to work five hours to just come up with that money. This young generation, you know, my son came to me when he was much younger. He goes, dad, you know, these Yeezys or whatever, they're like, uh, I can get them for like $300. And I'm thinking $300? You know, it doesn't matter whether or not I could afford it or not, but I had to teach him the lesson that, look, the average individual, minimum wage is $15, right? So how many hours does one have to work? They have to work 20, 20 hours to make that $300. And then there's taxes that come off of it and all the, all the source deductions. So technically, they're going to work 30 hours before they can buy that pair of shoes. Do you still want to buy those shoes? And, you know, it, it gave a moment of pause or reflection to say, wow, that's 30 hours of labor before I can go and buy something. So it's important that we teach them. And obviously, we, we, we do way too much for our kids and we spoil them way too much because we didn't have those things. But hopefully, we're also giving them the lesson that, look, if you want fine things in life, you're going to have to work for it and not wait for it to be handed to you. Yeah, that's 100% true. And I think... Uh, I think that's something that a lot of people maybe don't think about until they're put into that situation, but it's definitely a good wake up call, like I said, to, to start thinking about it early on because it's, it's a different world. And unfortunately the tools that maybe our parents had won't really apply to, to what we need to survive right now, right? To um, be able to afford a house, be able to raise a family, et cetera. 
So what would you say is the number one lesson that you've learned before we wrap up throughout these years of building such a successful business? Um, the number one lesson is consistency. So my gain in this industry is because I was surrounded by people who were not consistent. So whatever you do, A, you've got to give it some time. So you can't be impatient. You've got to give it time. You've got to be consistent. You've got to do the right things and you've got to protect the interest of the consumer that you're working with because it takes years and years to build up a good reputation and all you have to do is one flaw or do something wrong that you're going to lose all of that effort so consistency honesty and just doing good by people you know it's just that golden rule right just mm -hmm. be good and don't think about your interests first because your interests will always get fulfilled when you're doing the right thing for someone love that and one thing that i love asking everybody because it gives us so much insight on your drive and, and the way that you are and it's a big key to success i think which is what's your morning routine like do you wake up early are you a late riser working at night i'd like to know that wow yeah so i i can't even lie because if any, any of my friends hear this and call me out on it so no i i cannot get up early i'm not an early riser at all but i do work late um, so, you know, in our business, we're working a lot of evenings, especially when you're doing offers and listings, you're working when people come home. Um, so I, I'm a night owl. I'm, I'm up till 2 a.m. sometimes. So I like to sleep in and my, I never have an appointment before 11 a.m. So 11 a.m. is my first appointment. Um, and even that I, I get angry about sometimes, but, um, you know, when I, when I can, and I should do it more often, but I like to you know, get on my Peloton and, or go for a walk or just, you know, clear my head. I love, I love having me time because that's, you know, in my day, I rarely have that. So I need to have that. And sometimes it's just mindless television or news, you know, shame, shame to say, or in watching Netflix, you know, a couple of hours a night, I need that downtime because I've exhausted my brain mentally from the amount of talking and just whatever I'm doing. But you know, I'm not, I'm, I've never gotten up in the morning and said, I don't want to face today that I, I wish I, you know, how many people get up in the morning and say, oh man, I, did, I wish I didn't have to work today. The days that I don't have to work, I feel like I'm missing something. So, you know, for my routine, it's that then it's coming into the office and, and, you know, I have uh, three great assistants that work for me. They're not agents. They just work for me. So I come in and they, they try to get me out of here. They call me the mm -hmm. like a bull in a China store and uh, <laughs> so they give me my stuff and I go out for the day and I have my listing appointments all day. Um, I try to get home at least a couple of hours uh, between that four to six so I can catch my family for, uh, for dinner. And I, never worked physically. I'm never available Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. And that sounds very odd coming from a realtor. Mm -hmm. uh, but because I'm listing homes, I try to list them Monday to Thursday. I only do offers on Monday to Thursday. So I have a system in place where weekends are the busiest sh showing days. And as I mentioned, I refer my buyers out. So my buyers are working with buyers agents. So I don't physically have to be here. So I take off to my cottage Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now there are days when people can only meet on a, on a weekend. So I'll come back a little bit early on a Sunday and meet with a client. I certainly am, am never 
going to say no to that. But as a rule, those are the three days. Now I'm still on, I'm still replying to messages and dealing with clients, taking phone calls and working with my network, but I physically need that downtime and I like to ski in the winter and whatnot. So, so my routine is um, four days of really hammering it out and then taking some downtime and enjoying family time because you know, you can work. And that's one of the lessons I lear learned very early on in my career. I worked with a lot of, you know, I was 18 and the next youngest person was 45 at the time. And I saw them just working. And, and one of the gentlemen said, look, you know, I'm 55 years old and never got to know my kids. And that, that really stuck with me. And I'm glad I heard that. And I thought if I ever have children, if I'm ever married, I don't want to be, the you know the husband that never came home or the, or the father that never got to know his kids um so that was very important to me and i like to spend a lot of time with my family and my friends and and, and and that's that's my that's my routine that's amazing honestly i think i've interviewed over i don't know how many people on this podcast and i think there's not one or maybe there's one person who admitted that they don't wake up early and that they're not this early riser, they don't go for a run, they don't, you know. And I really love that, that you said that because A, either you're just like the only honest one or um, there's other, there's just other ways of being successful without having to have that whole big morning routine and doing everything that those books sometimes tell you to do. Um, so thank you so much for being honest and thank you for admitting that. And I think, you know, it's just good to think about that for whoever's listening. Is that if you thrive at night, it's okay. If you're the type of person who wants to work late, that's fine. You don't have to be like those other people. That's right. You don't follow society. You know, it, like I never did. I didn't do anything I was supposed to do in life. I didn't go to school. I didn't go to university. I didn't get my degree. I, I did everything unconventionally. But it's what works for you. So don't ever try to fix into someone else's frame. Make your own frame and be who you are. Be authentic to yourself. Don't fake it you know, embrace who you are, love who you are, and never apologize for it. You know, uh, there was a, early on, you know, my parents would say, and I've done this, it's like, aren't you embarrassed? Like, you know, like someone's calling you and you have bed voice at 9 a.m. It's like, it doesn't matter that I have bed voice. Why are they calling me at 9 a.m.? Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's just, it's just, you've got to own who you are. And everybody knows, like, you know, I don't even function before 11 a.m. So it's hard to get me on the call or anything. Before that. <laughs> Amazing. Um, honestly, Faisal, it's been such a pleasure having you on. Uh, for the listeners, where can they find you? Sure, yes. Yeah. So it's just my first and last name, which is Faisal Suzy Well, it's on the screen. Um, and so I have uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Um, my email um, or my website is homeshack, H-O-M-E-S-H-A-C-K.com. So you can go onto my website. And um, the real deal is my book, which is available on Amazon if anyone's interested in picking up a copy. Thank you again. Thanks so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you again. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating, a review, and don't forget to subscribe. You can also follow us on socials at Take the Lead Podcast and at Kareen Badran. Thanks so much for listening.